This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey guys, welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Today we're going to go into a movie that gave me my rank and title of Captain. We're talking about Captain America, the first Avenger. And as always, we have a little bit of a spoiler warning. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you very much for that, Jen. So, Shanko, where do we go? Where, where do we start? All right, so I'm super stoked to talk about this movie because it goes without saying Captain America is one of my favorite characters. That being said, I take this film with a grain of salt because for something that had so much potential, as much as I love it and as much as I love the cast, fell a little flat. I'll be the first one to say that. Yeah, it's kind of a filler movie. I hate to say it, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah, uh, it was definitely the tail end of phase one, and they didn't quite know how the Avengers was going to take off, but we're going to get there. Where do we open up but in the frozen tundra of the Arctic, where some scientists have uncovered a frozen aircraft, and they call out some specialists because this thing is buried deep and they need some help getting it out. And when they send some guys down in to explore... They pan over the ice, and you just see a little flash of red, white, and blue. And then we cut to the 1940s in New York City. And our boy, Skinny Steve, is trying to get into the, into the army. But because this man is a laundry list of medical issues, uh, you know, asthma, weakness, like general just constant illness, um, anemia whatever, whatever, he has a, you know, hefty file. They basically tell him, kid, you're wasting your time. I'm doing you a favor by not accepting you. Go home. He He's not really cut out for it. Uh, I definitely want to talk about the CGI uh, for Skinny Steve because it's kind of crazy what they ended up doing with all of that. But that's for part two. After he gets rejected, his buddy Bucky meets him and in the alley, getting his butt kicked. Which seems to be a thing in Steve's life. Yeah, do you think Bucky just walks through life in New York City and he just like subconsciously looks down alleys to make sure his scrawny friend isn't getting the crap kicked out of him? After a while, probably. Because he doesn't seem at all surprised to find Steve getting his ass kicked in this back alley. No, he just, he walks in and handles business. And I I like the... uh, the show there, you know, he walks up and he goes, pick on someone your own size, and then just socks him right across the jaw. And, you know, what a man. What a best friend. Oh, yeah. Everyone needs a Bucky in their life. Absolutely. Bucky tries to cheer up his friend when he learns that he's been rejected yet again, because he's tried more than once. In fact, I think Bucky's, like, biggest problem isn't that he tried and failed a fourth time here. It's that he tried to make himself from Jersey. 
which is just insulting to a New Yorker. It's like, really? Jersey? Anyway, he's like, listen, I got a date lined up. We're going to this big scientific expo because as we learn down the line, Bucky is a massive nerd at heart and we can stand for that. He wants to go to the expo. He wants to impress the girls and he's going to drag his skinny friend along with him. Steve kind of asks, you know, what did you tell her about me? And he's like, I only told her the good stuff. You're all right. <laughs> you know, if I meet a guy like Bucky, I'm like, oh, yeah, his friend's probably more or less the same. And then you show up to the date, you got skinny Steve. And you're like, I guess he's got a nice personality, but I might step on him. <laughs> yeah. But it eventually, like, Steve sees another recruitment booth and he's like, peace out. I'm going to go hit this one more time. Bucky's like, all right, fine, whatever. I'm going to go have a good time with my last night here before I ship out, so. Deuces, dude. Go waste your time. Because <laughs> he knows what's going to happen. He's like, he's going to walk in there. They're going to take one look at him. He's going to list his medical issues, and then they're going to say, go home. But this time is different. He was overheard talking to Bucky very passionately about wanting to join the army and do his part serving in the war by one Abraham Erskine becomes pretty important to Steve. He goes in for his exam, and as he's, you know, putting a shirt back on, getting his stuff together, a military police steps into the curtain, and uh, he <laughs> needs his brown pants. I mean, this is his fifth attempt. He's definitely lied. And here's the military police waiting for him. He's just like, well, I guess I'm going to be going to the military this way instead, huh? But Erskine steps in, and he goes, it's really not, not necessary. Go. Go. <laughs> and he has a short conversation with Steve, and they have a heart-to-heart about why Steve wants to join the army, and Erskine decides to give him the go-ahead, stamps his file, and Steve is in the army. Boy, was he not ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was not. But he's sent off to a special uh, program camp that's being headed up by one General Chester Phillips, played by the amazing Tommy Lee Jones. I love Jones. Like, Jones has fantastic comedic timing in a completely serious role. Takes one look at Steve and his his entire speech just, like, falters. He's like, there, there is no way. <laughs> There's no way this kid is sitting. He's, he's here. Okay. Uh, I don't know what to do with that information. So we go through, like, some interesting, like training montage stuff and steve shows off that he's smarter than the average soldier we are also introduced to the amazing Haley atwell playing peggy carter she owns that red lip that is the peggy carter red lip i i i endorse the red lip but we jump forward to steve's operation transformation his experiment yeah He's loaded up into this crazy-looking pod, and <clears throat> they make sure he's settling in and he's comfortable. And uh, you know, Howard Stark gives him a little bit of that trademark Stark line snark and says, "This equipment's been tested way more than you." You know, and he and he's you know going about his machinery and getting everything ready to go. And Doctor Skin says, "You know, how are you doing?" and Steve's like, this is a little, it's a little big, but don't worry, Steve, you're going to grow. <laughs> if I fits, I sits. And he gets a hefty dose of that 
super blue super soldier steroid. Yeah, well, plus some Vita rays, quote quote, which are totally not a thing. Yeah. Oh, and well, you kind of need the penicillin. And penicillin. <laughs> oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> no, son, we haven't started. It's <laughs> like, oh no, no, no. That was just penicillin. Steve's like, oh, crap. Anyway, the machine opens and we get the, you know, superhero, uh, fundamental, gratuitous, shirtless scene that, you know, I'm not going to complain about. No complaints here. And uh, Haley Atwell does not have any complaints either because that little um, (laughs) chest touch was was not not scripted. And do I blame her? Absolutely not. (laughs) I think women everywhere do not blame her. <laughs> she did what everyone else, every other female in that um, in that theater wanted to do in that moment. And, you know, and men, definitely. Anyway, very shortly after he's, you know, revealed in all of his newly humongous buff glory, a bad thing happens. There was an undercover Hydra agent inside the room the whole time and he left his cigar case on his chair blows it up causing a massive diversion pops a cap in our guy erskine swipes the last of the serum from the tray and he books it out the door poor granny at the door does not make it either (laughs) he 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 uh doesn't let her get away he steals her tommy gun though Yeah, jumps in a car, and Peggy runs out into the street, starts shooting, and, you know, he's about to run her over, and Steve tackles her out of the way and takes off after the car on foot, barefoot, mind you, down the cobbled 1940s streets of New York. Ow. I don't care what superheroes, I don't care what superhero steroids you're on, that's gotta hurt. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to talk about how they shot that sequence in the second part, because there's a whole sordid and hilarious backstory to the filming of the barefoot running in the street scenes. But anyway, he chases the Hydra agent down to the harbor where he takes a kid hostage. And Steve kind of follows, but he doesn't want the kid to get hurt. And the guy's firing off his gun and he kind of follows real slowly around the corner, and he's like, I just want you to let go of the kid. And the guy chucks the kid in the water and takes off. Luckily, he is one of the children in the 1940s that knows how Which to swim. was a statistical anomaly at the time. So he tells Steve to go get him. Oh, yeah. Yeah? He says, go get him. I can swim. He swims off like a little frog. And uh, Steve jumps into the harbor. I can't imagine the water was clean even in the 40s, and swims after that uh, that very high-tech submarine, punches out the glass, rips the guy out, and throws him back up onto the shore, onto the docks, follows him up. The tube of serum smashes, destroying any chance of replicating the serum uh, now that Erskine's dead, and he demands to know who he's working for, but... That hydragent had an extra trick up his sleeve in the form of a cyanide pill, which he crunches down on, and that's that, guys. So much faster than what actually happens. Cyanide poisoning is a very painful way to go, and it is not quick. Yeah, it's a little bit more than um, a slight foaming of the mouth. But anyway, he's dead now, 
And uh, where do we go from here? Well, Phillips is pissed. And he's like, I was promised an army. All I've got is you, so I'm not bothering. You're going to be sent off to a lab. A senator who happened to be visiting was like, you know, I could put you to other uses than sitting around in a lab. And cue Captain America, the man with a plan. And he's out there selling bonds across the United States after that. Yeah, we get the it's the showgirls and the lights and the boots and the spandex. Like, they did a really good job bringing the campy, like, original 40s look to the... It, it needed to happen that way. It was great and iconic. I love how he had his notes just, like, pa- like taped to the inside of his shield. <laughs> They're like, did they just throw him up there, like... They didn't feed him a script before. They're just like, here you go. Here's your outfit. Here's your shield. Read this. Goodbye. Um, he's also, like, proven himself to be very awkward about, around women. And they're like, okay, also, you're going to be surrounded by, like, 20 really attractive dancing girls. Are you okay with that? And he's like, oh, all right. No, I'm uncomfortable. Um, but he gets to suck old Adolf on the jaw. And then eventually he asks for a volunteer from the crowd to a very unenthused, um, deployed group of soldiers in Italy. Yeah, they send him overseas at some point to do his act. I can't even imagine why. And where once used to sit enthusiastic young kids and adults and, you know, the citizens of America who just love Captain America, he's now in front of battle-hardened soldiers who haven't seen a good anything in like months and have had their best guys die next to him. And so they are less than enthused by Captain America and his star spangled whateverness. They just want to see some girls and pretend the world the pretend the war isn't happening. Yeah, like he's like they're like bring back the girls and Steve is like uh I think they only know the one dance, but I'll see what I can do and I'm like I don't think they care. <laughs> not even a little bit they're like there's these pretty girls they're wearing short skirts they're gonna do it song and dance i'm thrilled get the man with the muscles and the spandex out of here we don't want to see him we want to see the girls and i can't really blame him. <laughs> no no you can't blame him but he finds out but he finds out that it's not just any group of guys it's his best buddy bucky's division bucky's missing he is m-i-a And so, you know, while Steve is lamenting in the rain and drawing pictures of dancing monkeys, his very awkward crush, Peggy, finds him and lets him know that this was Bucky's division. She didn't know that it was, but uh, when he hears the number, he perks up immediately and he knows that it's Bucky's division. He didn't see Bucky. So he, he rushes off to the colonel to try to get permission to, you know, put together something to go get those men, but... They're behind enemy lines, and Hydra's had them pinned down for months. There's not really a chance. He basically, Colonel Phillips basically tells him, our plan to rescue those men is to win the war. Sorry. Uh, so what does, our, what does our main man do? What does the star-spangled man with a plan plan to do? Well, he takes General Phillips' advice of, you've got some place to be in 30 minutes, in a completely different manner, and goes off. And, you know, Peggy's standing there, and he's, and Phillips is like, you know, if you've got a thing to say, you can just keep that to yourself right now. And I think she was about to tell him that Steve was running off, 
And instead, she's like, okay, I'll keep that to myself. Yeah, bye. And she goes to help him. And we get an airdrop using um, one of Stark's private planes uh, over over the Alps. And the man with a plan stages a one-man rescue on a Hydra a secret Hydra base, which is insane. I don't think this man has ever parachuted in his life, but you know what? No better way to learn than dropping over an active war zone with anti-aircraft missiles going off everywhere, you know? No, 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 that's perfectly perfectly acceptable skydiving um, parameters. Definitely. And, and especially while jumping off of, out of a plane piloted by a non-combatant. <laughs> uh, he finds the map with all the Hydra bases on it, and then very nearby is his good buddy Bucky strapped to the table. And he goes over there, just straight up rips the restraints out of the table. Uh, if we needed to highlight his, you know, basically inhuman strength in any other fashion, it's just have a manhandle some restraints on a medical table. Definitely. Um, Bucky's out of it. They they did a number on Bucky. Uh, he's babbling, not quite coherent. And then he, he looks up and Steve is there. And he's like, Steve? I, th- I thought you were smaller. <laughs> Is it permanent? Is it permanent? So far. Absolutely. They were, there was a fondness and a kinship between them right off rip. Like they were, they were bros. (laughs) Yeah. What happened to you? I I joined the army. (laughs) Yeah. No, they, they really captured that friendship uh, between the two of them, like perfectly. But anyway, we're, we're going through, the place starts exploding because the Skull has seen Captain America arrive, and he's like, oh, I guess it's time to go. Starts blowing the place up, and we finally get our first meeting between our main protagonist and main antagonist, and the very horrifying reveal as to what happens when you are a bad person and you take superhuman serum, and the Skull reveals his red, you know, red skull, effectively. And uh, from there, we're not going to bother pretending it's Hugo weaving in the red mask. It's just the red skull. I so like that they're like, okay, so Hugo, you're going to play a guy whose face is a skull, but you're going to wear a face over the skull that looks just like your face currently. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just sitting there in makeup going, what? I don't think they did that for all of the scenes, just that one for that effect. I I can't imagine bothering to do the red skull makeup to then put on his regular face for any of the other scenes since it wasn't necessary. Yeah, but I mean, that I imagine going into that scene, that's <laughs> that's got to feel weird. Probably. Anyway, yeah, he, you know, Bucky's like, you don't got one of those, <laughs> do you? <laughs> you didn't get that messed up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Steve is like, oh, no. Uh, red skull escapes. And the building's coming down around them, and we end this scene in an explosion, and we don't quite know if they've made it out. And we cut back to the camp, and Colonel Phillips is already writing the letters. He's, you know, letting everyone know we're really sorry that uh, Captain Stephen Rogers is uh, assumed killed in action, or missing in action, or whatever he says. (laughs) Killed killed in action, yeah. And, (laughs) uh... You know, he, he's given Peggy some grief, and he's basically saying, like, oh, you let him go because you have a crush. And 
giving her grief because he's like, oh, I took a chance on you and, you know. Yep. Whatever. Being the man's man. But, you know, Peggy goes, oh, you know, I, if it means anything, I wouldn't change what I did. And then the camp starts getting real excited because coming over the hill, what do we have? Couple hydro tanks and every guy that they were missing. Yeah, about 400 people. Every guy that got captured. Yeah. So, you know, they have their big happy reunion with the camp and <clears throat> Steve walks over to Colonel Phillips and basically says, you know, I want, I want to turn myself over. I disobeyed your order. You know, feel free to court martial me, basically. And he says, no, I don't, I don't think that'll be necessary. And Bucky gets everyone to give a rousing cheer for Captain America and goes without saying that his little Bond tour, that's over. All future bookings canceled because Steve's going to get a job. Yeah. He gave the army the, the Hydra map and Colonel Phillips asked him to wipe, him, wipe Hydra off of it. He's going to need a team, though. And we get our howling commandos sitting in that bar, having a good time. They want him to open a tab. I actually really liked this dumb dumb Dugan. I thought he was aw- oh, yeah. I thought he was uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, the the actor behind it, he's all, he's amazing and uh yeah, so yeah, we've got you've got Dugan and you've got a couple of the other commando commandos from the comics sitting there. They're all getting jazzed up. Um we have another awkward scene about finding the right partner between Peggy and Cap, and then we jump to Cap getting the shield, which was a very important part. And it was, uh, but yeah, yeah, Stark's showing off. Oh yeah, this one like shoots stuff and whatever. And Cap's like, no, no, this singular round shield made out of all of your one precious metal. I'll take it. I want the expensive frisbee. Give me. <laughs> yeah. Can you paint it? Can you paint it in my colors, please? Yep. And then... Uh, Peggy takes it a step further because, you know, she walked in at not quite an opportune time for our Captain Rogers because one of the girls was getting a little friendly with the captain. And, you know, Peggy claps back with him at the, you know, well, I guess you found your partner. And, you know, he wants to show her his shield. He's so proud of it. He's got the, you know, golden retriever look on his face. And he's like, so happy to show off his new shield and she picks up a gun and shoots at him <laughs> yeah no she was still mad and she goes she goes i think it works and leaves and you know he awkwardly hands a piece of paper over to howard and's like i had some ideas about the costume and howard just kind of agrees and rolls with it i really want to know what happened in his head when he opened the thing right and there's like a tactical version of the spangly outfit that, <laughs> you know, that he'd been parading around in for months. I don't know. I mean, fair is fair. I think they made this, I think they made this suit. This is not my favorite suit that Captain America has ever worn, but it looked cool. I think they made the crazy, outrageous superhero outfit fit reasonably in World War II. I would agree. And obviously you're going to have your allowances, but it looked, it looked correct. It looked tactical. It had the weight that it needed and didn't stick out like a sore thumb as much as you might think it would mm-hmm. for World War II. Uh, I actually really liked all of the costuming for the Howling Commandos. I think they did um, a good job paying homage to where they came from. And we can talk about all of that um, in part two. T- but I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, more or less they looked like their comic counterparts as far as costuming. So I wasn't upset about that. 
What did upset me <laughs> was that all of this cool action of Captain America taking down all the Hydra bases. Because that's what he's doing. He's ping-ponging around Europe, taking out every Hydra base that he can, finding more as he goes along, and basically just making the Red Skull's life impossible. Because he literally can't produce his weapons at the speed he needs to because Cap keeps blowing up his factories. They montage through all of it in, like, a two-minute segment. If that. And, I mean, they show off everyone's talents and whatever you know we get to see that bucky's a hell of a shot Uh and we get to see a little bit of you know cap jumping around action a couple of very mm, not aging well and probably didn't even look that good at the time explosions on green screen yeah Eh. i mean yeah to then finally get the red skull freaking out and he he is pissed uh, he he wants to. He's like, why can't you defeat a simpleton with a shield? <laughs> well, you know, he's really good at what he's doing, which is you know, destroying Nazis. Pop off Cap. Yeah, so we finally get like a mission that is to capture Armin Zola, who's on a train. So the Howling Commandos go do that, and unfortunately, in the process of that fight, we lose. He goes into a, a frozen river, you know, from a two, three hundred foot fall, and he is presumed killed in action. But they get Zola. I will say, you know, I gotta say, Bucky has watched Cap with that shield now for a while. I do want to know why he thought he could take a shot like that directly on the shield, and he was relying on it a little bit oh, too yeah. much. Yeah. And it was just unfortunate that the whole side of the train had been blown apart by one of the, you know, fire rocket guys and just left a great opening for him to get absolutely just pinged straight out of that train car. But yeah, mission accomplished. They got Zola. And if Steve needed the brown pants when the military police walked into that exam room, Zola needs the brown pants when Phillips breaks to him that the last guy killed by the actions of Zola and the Red Skull happened to be Captain America's best friend. Yikes. Yeah, he sets him up with this whole, uh, we're sending out a secret, you know, encrypted message saying how cooperative you are being. And man, I would, you guys haven't broken that yet, have you? I mean, it'd be real awkward if you did. And, you know, I guess transportation's gonna be a little iffy if, uh, you know, since you know, Bucky died and that was his best friend. Sucks to be you. It was done. It was very well done. I loved that scene. I also, like, I died laughing watching this again. And, and it made me laugh the first time I watched this movie, too. When Zola is like, I, you know, Phillips brings him in a tray with steak and broccoli and potatoes, right? And I'm thinking, like, that's a pretty primo meal in World War II, you know, out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And he's like, no, I don't eat meat. It it upsets my stomach. And without missing a beat, <laughs> he just turns that tray around and starts eating. I, I fully intended that I don't think he meant to give that meal to Zola. It was to entice him. Maybe he'll take it. He probably won't. So, you know, interrogation in a dinner. That's, that's the way to go. Smart thinking. 
He's like, I brought you dinner. I brought you dinner. I tried to be nice. Here's the olive branch. You didn't want it. I'm going to eat it. And you know what? I can't blame him. It looked great. Well, yeah, we finally can move into our, you know, finale here. Uh, they they have one last base to raid. Uh, or they finally figure out where the, you know, the red skull is. And they're like, well, we can't just go bash down the front door. Cap's like, no, that's exactly the plan. Cool, thanks. I'm going to take this motorcycle. I'm going to make a suicide run in it. Bye. I want to count how many motorcycles. And on that, how many absolutely stunning motorcycles Cap destroys in the course of all of these movies. Because <laughs> it's not a small number. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, he puts this thing through the ringer. He's r- running through the forest, taking out dudes left and right. He's got flamethrowers and... Like, all kinds of crazy gadgets on his motorcycle. It's decked out. And then he just launches it <laughs> straight at the doors. Boom. Beautiful vintage Harley gone. Yeah, well, it wasn't vintage at the time, was it? <laughs> no, he just took it for granted. It was brand new at the time. Ooh. But yeah, the plan was for him to get captured so that the rest could make a, make a break for, for it into the secret base and track it down and all that stuff. We get we get more showiness from uh the Hydra's super weapons that have been powered up by the by the cube as they like completely disintegrate soldiers left and right. Caps running after the skull at some point and we finally come out to this ridiculous airplane hangar. I actually timed this one out. Average speed uh to take off is about 160 miles per hour. I timed it out from the moment the plane started doing its takeoff sequence, like taxied around and started moving forward. From that moment to takeoff was one minute and 37 seconds, which with that average for takeoff speed means that track was four miles long. Now, I understand that mountain ranges are very long, but they are not that consistent. And, you know, this is a it's cutting edge technology. Oh, yeah. It's the Red Skull's like flagship with all of his advanced cosmic cube technology on board and you mean to tell me it takes him four miles to get off the ground that one was the most ridiculous thing in the entire captain america movie was how long movie science strictly just how long that was so that they could do the whole flashy uh you know car catches up to takeoff plane which i what and then you know the big the big kiss for good luck and He's got to kiss the girl, yeah. And then he's and and then Colonel Phillips, I'm not kissing you. Tommy Lee Jones, everybody. He had the best one-liners oh, in yeah. this movie, bar none. Yeah, he, you know, but Cap gets onto the plane. He takes out some more goons, and the, uh, the whole point is to make sure that the plane doesn't make it to the eastern seaboard. Otherwise, these super-powered bombs are going to go off, and that will kill everyone. Whatever. But he takes out all the guys and. Drops a few of them out, and that's going to be a painful death. Some of them get thrown into propellers and shredded. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That one, that one was particularly messed up. I'm just like... I think there was even a Wilhelm there scream in there. Like, <laughs> So he finally battles his way and, and through, the, through the plane and you know, gets up to the top deck. And who's there for him? Our buddy, the Red Skull. Um... You know, Red Skull's got this ideology that the this super soldier serum is like the next step 
right? He is a uh, superior man because of, you know, the serum. And he's like, well, you know, you could be better than all of them, but, you know, you choose to live, you know, by these weird morals that I, I don't understand and, uh, you know, what makes you special. And Cap quips back with, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn, uh, which pisses him off. Uh, and they have, a you know, a little bit of a back and forth. And as far as movie fights go, not bad. Um, they were throwing some punches in there. Uh, I also really enjoyed when the plane was fighting between being piloted and going into autopilot when they were mostly just falling all over the place and smacking into walls because, yeah, I think that's about how it would go. Yeah, that was, that was pretty realistic. <laughs> Eventually, the cosmic cube gets knocked out of the, um, the port where it's stored. And in an effort to not lose it, the Red Skull reaches down and holds it in his hand. And, you know, that... Old guy in Tonsberg tried to tell him that it wasn't for mortal men. And when he grabs that cube... Yeah, he opens up a portal to somewhere and kind of... You know, at the end of this one, you know, you know, meta-knowledge, now we know where he went. But at the time, it was... He just... It seemed like he got disintegrated and maybe sent... It scattered his atoms across the galaxies or something. Like, especially considering how long it took for the Red Skull to make a new appearance later... It was assumed he was dead. It was fully established that he was never coming back. And there was no way to have come back. And it's kind of a... It's a disappointment, too. Because Hugo Weaving was born to be the Red Skull. All issues with the makeup department aside. He did a fantastic job being scary and intense. uh, But also very charismatic, which is something that you can't... You can't have the Red Skull without that certain something you know that thing that makes them uh, you know an ambitious and a, and a leader who yeah, people want a cult to leader um yeah yeah figurehead for sure uh, i mean literally made his logo his own face with tentacles so kudos to you my man but hugo weaving did a great job and to not see him come back i know some of it was you know the issues with his problems with the time he had to spend in the makeup chair and all of that but uh to not see that character come back, especially for him because he's such a quintessential Captain America rogues gallery figure. Kind of disappointing. It was kind of a waste. I, like like we said at the beginning, of this whole movie's kind of filler. Because outside of about three characters, none of these other characters matter. Nothing else here truly matters outside of the MCU context. It, it literally served to set up the Tesseract being found in order to become a part of the events of a later movie. Yeah. And to introduce us, of course, to Captain America, but because it, it had to be done. He needed his solo film. Um, but yeah, it, it was treated as filler, and it a little bit felt like filler. And this leads us to the end and then our end credits. Uh, the... The plane is kind of a lost cause. It's stuck on autopilot, and all Steve can really think to do is force it down. And so he calls Peggy. I don't know how. Uh, he's got some it's kind radio. of... radio. It's still working. He just radios back to uh, command, which was the Hydra base. And, you know, his allies have taken the base at this point. So first he's got um, one of the Highland Commandos on, and Peggy takes over, and they have their... They have their talk. Um, 
as she stays with him till the end, which was very well done. Um, acting wise, it, had, it hit all the right emotional chords. Um, you knew it was going to be tragic, and they played that very well without without playing the end, as it were. <laughs> but uh, Steve takes an ice bath, uh, crashes the plane into the Arctic, so that you know the explosives on board and the technology, uh, they're not able to harm anyone, and and sacrifices himself in order to save the world as you do when you're a superhero but yeah everyone you know they they show the end of the war and a couple of kids running around playing howling commandos one kid's got a painted trash can lid to look like the cap shield the howling commandos are kind of you know celebrating the captain and his life um but bucky and steve are you know gone to them yeah and then the world moves on but Steve's not dead. He slowly wakes up to the sound of a radio and there's a baseball game on. But he's tipped off pretty quickly because he realizes he's heard this before at a game that he went to. And I know they had to give him a reason to be suspicious of his surroundings, but I feel like that one is way too big of a gimme. You would think that you would maybe pick a baseball game from like 1946? Yeah, I don't know why they went with one that, that you know, if the, this is an intelligence agency, S.H.I.E.L.D., they should have known that with as big of a game as this one was, maybe you don't put it on the radio we listen to, because who knows if he saw it in person or read about it or, or whatever. But that's the one they went with. and They needed something quick and easy to establish. But yeah, so he quickly sees through S.H.I.E.L.D.'s facade, busts out of the makeshift, <laughs> like, whatever. I want to know what the idea was behind that, right? They're like, build a 1940s hospital room in the middle of this freaking warehouse. With a, you know, fake backdrop and everything. I'm just like, you mean to tell me that upon waking up, you don't recognize, like, you wouldn't have seen or re- realized that none of that was right? Whatever. He busts out of that, runs down, and he gets the culture shock of a lifetime as he's in the middle of Times Square, but th- this wasn't Times Square, you know, ten minutes ago, according to his internal clock. And, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. finally surrounds him up, and Fury steps up, and he's like, Well, Cap, you've been asleep for a very long time. Cue credits. And then our end credits scene. So, we knew that all of these were going to be leading into the Avengers. And Cap hasn't been recruited yet, technically. Um, we kind of get little recruitment scenes within Iron Man and in the post-credits and um, the Incredible Hulk and, and mentions of the Avengers. We've met several of our foundational members. But for the end credit scene here... It was more of a promo trailer than it was an end credit scene. Yeah, because this is it's literally the beginning, the beginning of the Avengers... Uh, the next one but uh, um i got a nitpick because i am the i i you know i'm here to analyze the fights and my man steve you are meant to be an elite super soldier a master of hand-to-hand combat and you mean to tell me you're gonna stand with your feet right next to each other in front of the punching bag and only throw hooks i i have got nothing this man does not move his head or his feet once 
before he punches that bag off the chain. And from how he was standing and where his feet were, there is no way, no matter how strong you are, that you're going to just reach out with that with that cross and break that chain. I don't care if he has super su- superhero steroids. It's not happening. Anyway, that's my nitpick here. <laughs> um, Steve can't box, at least not in the Avengers. Well, I mean, we weren't in the Avengers. This was the first Captain America movie. Because they basically reshot that whole scene for the Avengers. So, as of the end of Captain America the first Avenger, and the beginning of the Avengers. Steve Rogers cannot box. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about it. But uh, yeah, officially roll credits because that's the end of the movie. We've got a lot to discuss in our mid-break. So let's roll into that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back to, from uh, from from the ads into our mid break here. We would like to thank you for sticking with us this long. It's been a great, uh, however many episodes I've lost count, but that's okay. Uh, normally, this is where we would read like reviews and whatnot. We have no new reviews. We want to talk about the upcoming launch of our Patreon. We're going to talk about tier five real quick. This will be our top tier. It's going to be 50 bucks, and this one comes with merch. For as long as you stay at that tier, you'll continue to get merch at every uh, three-month interval. Uh, we'll start with some stickers, and we'll work up to a shirt if you stick with us at that tier for a full year. So that's real exciting, and it will, it will just be you know our logo and whatnot for this first round. But yeah, this, uh, that's you know, a way you can contribute if you are so inclined to. Uh, we'll be very appreciative of that, and yeah. Yeah, we're excited to launch the Patreon. That's coming up quicker than I care to think about. Yeah, October 1st, it goes live, so have have yourselves ready, I guess. And then, Shanko, I believe you've got, you've got some words from our sponsor to talk about? Absolutely. This show is brought to you once again by Bearded Brown Coat Comics and Games here in my hometown of Ocala, Florida. There's two locations, one right off of State Route 200 and one little further south down in Bellevue, kind of closer to me. Uh, it's in right next to the Publix Plaza. Either one of those stores, you're going to find everything and anything you could possibly need when it comes to tabletop gaming, card games, comic books, merchandise. They even do, you know, Squishmallows and lounge fly and snacks and energy drinks like they have literally everything covered uh stop in tell them that shanko and psych sent you from the mcu Lorecast. they'd love to hear from you and go check them out if you're in the central florida area or even if you're not it's worth the drive do they have a you know, website that our non-floridians can hit they are active on facebook primarily bearded brown coat uh, speaking of our Facebook, if you've liked uh, the MCU Lorecast page, thank you very much. Um, try to engage with you there as much as we can. 
And we also found on Discord under the Robots Radio. We've got the little channel there. Please hit us up. If you've got any questions or like, why did this have to happen? We'd like to talk to you guys on that. Also, over on Robots Radio, we both now have our own other shows that we're doing. Uh, I am one part of the Mass Effect Blue Shift, a uh, live play tabletop RPG utilizing the Fate system set in the Mass Effect universe where we play CSEC agents and we solve crimes and try to fill out our paperwork on time and all this, all the fun stuff in between there. Uh, check us out. We'll have a second episode up here soon. And yeah, we're, we're, doing, we're doing pretty good, I think. What about you, Shanko? Um, I am one half of the Wizarding World Lorecast, a Harry Potter lore creatures magic podcast and i'm doing that with ben of tamaria so that's super super exciting got another side project on the side too it's a mixed martial arts podcast but no co-host no no title yet um still getting all the bits together but if you're excited about that keep an eye out all right and i think i think that's it for our mid-break So, let's roll into some lore. We've got a lot of ground to cover oh for you. <laughs> uh, I love origin movies. They are so great because I have so many characters. He said with not one single ounce of sarcasm. No, no. People are like pulling out their earbuds and shaking them out to get all the sarcasm out. <laughs> all right. We've got Dr. Abraham Erskine. Introduced in Captain America Comics number one in March 1941 by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. He was originally introduced as Professor Reinstein. The name was revised when Marvel started using Captain America again in 1965 to Abraham Erskine. Like most of our supporting origin characters, he has not been revived. He's only brought back whenever a retelling of Captain America needs to be told. But otherwise, much like Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy and uh, up until very recently. Yinsen, our boy Yinsen. Yinsen. It seems to be kind of that kind of curse. If you are there to help the main protagonist become who they are as a superhero, you're probably going to die and stay dead. So that's that's where we, that's where poor Erskine sits. All right. Uh, if I butcher this, I apologize. I have been working on this name for three days, and I am still not got it. Timothy Alosis Cadwallader Dum Dum Dugan. That's a hell of a name. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Aloysius. Aloysius. Thank you. I I couldn't. I don't know how I couldn't, but whatever. That's why he goes by Dum Dum. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Uh, anything other than that. I mean, I would have just gone by him over anything, but... No, no, that's too easy. <laughs> yeah. Introduced in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number one in May 1964 by Lee and Kirby. He was originally British and was retconned to Boston, but he still kept the signature hat. He's usually Fury's second-in-command. So whenever you'd see Fury, you would probably see uh, Dugan running around doing stuff. Obviously with how Fury is modern, and then the rest of the Howling Commandos are World War II. Unfortunately, they didn't want to do what you know the Ultimates did and keep 
Fury alive with the Infinity Formula. So instead, all the Howling Commanders got left in World War II while Fury was updated to the present day. But so that's where we're going to leave poor Dugan in the past, which is, again, as we were saying, a real shame. They built up all these characters, they brought them here, and because this is an origin story set in a time period that, as of now, is almost a hundred years ago, they're going to be left in the past. The rest of the Howling Commandos, which were also introduced during that issue, are Gabe Jones, Jim Morita, Jacques Denaire. Those were all the originals. Uh, James Montgomery Fallsworth, the British person in the movie, was original for this movie. Uh, he seemed to kind of be a, like an amalgamation of a couple of characters rolled into one. And unfortunately, all these guys would be dead by the end of the war. General Chester Phillips, introduced in Tales of Suspense, number 63, March 1965, by Lee and Kirby. He was part of the retelling of Cap's origin story that Marvel needed to kind of go through once they kind of brought Captain America back. Uh, his comic counterpart was lobbying for Rogers, not against. Uh, the against was another general who kind of went evil and tried to, he tried to do some bad stuff. And so, but it was Phillips and Erskine who were like, no, no, we really want the skinny kid here to become Captain America, please. But to, for a story narrative, it made more sense to roll the tough guy narrative into the Phillips character for the movie, rather than introduce another element into the movie. For our bad guys, we've got Armin Zola. He was introduced in Captain America and the Falcon number 208 in April 1977 by Jack Kirby. He was the writer and artist on that one. It's just him. Uh, the com comic book origins to the movie are pretty much one-to-one. -one. Like, what he was doing in, in the comics was pretty much what he was doing in the movie. He worked for Hydra. He worked for specifically the Red Skull and so forth and so forth. We will discuss more about what Zola does in the next one. <laughs> Because he's a little bit more important there. Right now he's just kind of support for Johann Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull. Now, the first Red Skull was George Maxson in Captain America Comics number one. Maxson was a Nazi sympathizer and American businessman. He did bad things in the name of Nazism. Uh, he ran around wearing a Red Skull mask and was an antagonist in, in issues number one and number four. Schmidt appears in number seven, which was October 1941, and then he became the primary version. Uh, it was kind of shifted around, not retconned, it's different. It was just shifted around that Maxon was one of his alkalides, as it were, alkalides. And so Maxon would do things for Schmidt in the name of the Red Skull. Um, Schmidt ends up being horribly disfigured, and that's where he continues to utilize the Red Skull moniker, which was not super serum stuff he was just blown up badly uh that story was covered in tales of suspense number 72 through number 79 and that also covers how the skull survives into the modern era at the time which was the late 60s and the uh storyline of utilizing the cosmic cube actually comes from tales of tales of suspense number 80 entitled he who would wield the cosmic cube like straight up not all of that, all of the movie was lifted from it, but this move, this comic would have inspired at least elements of the movie here. 
All right, now for the trifecta, the, the three big characters, as it were, for it. Agent Margaret Peggy Carter. She was unnamed in her introductory issue, Tales of Suspense number 75, in March 1966, and not named until number 77, and this was by Lee and Kirby. She was Cap's wartime love interest, so straight up, just for all the retelling they were doing, she was his girl for it. And then because of the you know the unchanging nature of comic book heroes, her relationship with Sharon Carter was changed because uh, at the time of like when they brought Captain America back, Peggy was an older sister to Sharon Carter. And then she became an aunt at some point, and then a great aunt in Captain America Volume 5, number 5 in April 2007. Again, you gotta love retconning. It's it makes for such great comic book narratives. James Buchanan Bucky Barnes, Captain America Comics number one. Funny enough, when Simon first introduced the characters for Captain America and Bucky, he had just drawn a teenage sidekick and he had labeled him Bucky. He named him after a basketball star from Simon's high school. So they kind of had to work around why is this character called Bucky and you know gave him the, the middle name Buchanan later. Yeah, I think a, a lot of Captain America characters have presidential middle names. Right, or last names as as you had uh as you said in another episode mm-hmm. which I hadn't picked up on, but yeah, you know, Wilson, Buchanan, Carter, um Carter, all of that, yeah. That's that uh, I hadn't picked up on that reference, but yeah. So they they worked in that presidential reference after the fact of being called Bucky first. In the original continuity, these would be from the comics that were were done by Timely Comics that Marvel would eventually become. Bucky discovers Cap's secret and just becomes his teenage sidekick because that was what she did in 1940s. Hey, let me follow you into war. I'm underage. What? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's in there. Uh, he's just a kid. Like, he's the scrawny kid to the Captain America. He's not even the, like, really well-muscled version that's in the movie here. No, no. He's just a 16-year-old who's like, oh, man, I love Captain America. I've heard all about him. And, oh, this guy is Captain America. Well, now that I know who you are, uh, can I come with you? Yeah, sure, kid. And thus. (laughs) Thus. Later, this would all become retconned to him actually getting trained by like the British SAS in the 1940s, and he would become sort of the dark side to Cap because the army knew that Captain America, as a symbol, couldn't do certain things like assassinate people. And thus, that's where Bucky becomes such a good shot, and other he becomes an expert in other things and being deadly. That's how he gets that training. Again, he's a 16-year-old, and the U.S. government is training this 16-year-old to assassinate people. Hey, I mean, I think they have a pretty steady grip on reality, all things considered. (laughs) And how about our main guy? Oh, we've got more on Bucky. Yes, because we got to cover his death, because he dies in this movie. This is true. Quote, quote. His comic book death, which was also retconned to establish a new continuity for Captain America was at the same time as Cap's big freeze. But he was very much considered dead in 1945. Uh, so similar to 
the ending of the movie here. Uh, it's a plane. It's got uh, super-powered you know, explosives on it. Cap's trying to bring it down. Uh, Cap goes into the water ahead of it, but Bucky stays on the plane to try to disarm the bomb, and it explodes. That's how it's supposed... That's how it goes. In the retcon that we'll discuss later, he survives that. Um, but yeah, he was very much dead. And reason that had to be redone was because Captain America comics... They had gone on after the war. We'll talk about that right now. Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. Again, Captain America Comics number one. Simon originally had this idea of calling him Super American, which (laughs) when I read that, I I fell out of my chair laughing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad they went with Captain America. Whoever talked him out of Super American, that sounds like the bargain brand you buy. It sounds like the like a Wish.com uh, action figure or something. Or like, you know, whatever the alt-right wants to put up as their newest, latest, you know, big white guy. Simon actually scrapped it himself after he realized that there were a lot of superheroes at the time going by the moniker super whatever. So he was like, "Mm, you know what's not a whole lot of? Captains. So Captain America. There we go. It works. Cap was a consciously political creation because the creators were morally repulsed by Nazi Germany at the time. And still were. But that's how this character comes to fruition and we aren't even in the war you know you gotta think about it it's 19 it's late 1940s when these are being done um i say these dates those are cover dates on all those issues uh they are more than likely sold several months beforehand so it's you know late 1940s we aren't in the war but the war is happening uh pearl harbor hasn't happened yet but here we are we've got people who are seeing the signs seeing what's going on and hate it and so here they are they're they're artists and they want to create something that would inspire people to not allow or it to inspire people to be against nazi germany and it's why captain america comic number one has captain america punching hitler like that's where that one is number one straight up i'm here to punch your freaking lights out done i mean it's Absolutely a bold entrance. <laughs> and you know what's even funnier? Is that it drew backlash. Mainly from the people who didn't want to be involved in the war. And they didn't want people glorifying the war and and whatnot. But yeah, uh, not everyone was on board with the super propagandized idea of, you know, fighting and utilizing uh, American whateverness to go fight a war we you know it's 1941 we're less than a decade out from the uh great depression and stuff people are still pretty skittish about uh about what you know what tomorrow may bring and you know they're also getting the news reports from across the sea and it's like well maybe we shouldn't be involved in that but it developed from backlash into freaking death threats so that's that's a step over acceptable behavior here. Yikes. Yeah. The shield that is on issue number one, another comic book line uh, it's the, that would become the Archie, like the comic book owners of Archie. 
they were like, hey, your shield bears too much of a resemblance to our hero, the shield. And so that's where they went back and redesigned into the circular shield that we know and love today. And then the man himself, Stan Lee, who at the time was actually Stanley Lieber, he would not be on the team for writing until issue number three for Captain America. But that's how far back that goes. Like, you know, we say Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby, these guys are the, the forefathers of every bit of Marvel Entertainment we love. And that's how far back this goes, guys. It's a hell of a story. So after the war, Captain America comics still kept being pumped out, but their popularity waned. And even though several attempts were made to keep Cap relevant, it was finally canceled in September 1954. The reason Marvel kind of had to do this whole retcon is because they wanted the original to have, quote, quote, died or disappeared. And so they said that other people would pick up the mantle for those other issues at the time. So there were other beings pretending to be Captain America and Bucky. Bucky was now a code name, not a name. And so I thought that was pretty interesting how they did their retconning there. That retconning is in issues of Tales of Suspense number 63 through number 71, and he was brought in permanently in Avengers number 4, which is where we will be going next. Woohoo! Yeah, so I thought that was a good tie there. Um, as for current events, well, it was 1940, 1941, guys. What current event do you think was happening at the time? No, just a really big-ass war. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I, I don't think without, a, I don't think without a, an event like World War II, we could have ended up with a character like Captain America. There just simply would not have been a niche for it. No, 100%. I mean, because like I said, he was... He was built out of this political consciousness, this idea that we want to be proud Americans. And this is how you should be a proud American is by standing up against a fascist regime. <clears throat> Everybody. The Captain America comics are really aging well, aren't they? Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be aging well, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, I can't stress this one enough. They shouldn't be aging this well. It's still okay to punch Nazis. Very, very much. I'm curious as to see what kind of hate mail we're going to get for this, but I also don't care. <laughs> no, no I, I'm good with it. Cause, um, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It, there's, It's not really a thing that's up for discussion. It's always been okay to punch Nazis. Right. And that's the current events of the day. It was the war. We weren't in it yet. So do you want to talk... Uh, CGI and... Yeah. I think we have to with this one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We brought up a couple little things we wanted to talk about. First and foremost is Skinny Steve. Um, No, Chris Evans did not lose all of that weight and um, become that skinny only to then bulk up that much. That would probably kill an average person. Um, Well, I mean, also he... The body, the skinny Steve was also a full seven inches shorter than Evans. Yeah, he, they got a body double for him. And uh, any scenes like close up on Evans's face, he's like kneeling on a box. And then they had to go in with CGI and like make his cheeks look more gaunt and his shoulders look more scrawny. And then for everything else, they had 
a body double who like looked skinny and sickly and like kind of feel bad for that guy. Uh, yeah, this was one of the first big uses of what has now been dubbed deep fake technology. Uh, the utilization of you know, putting someone else's face over somebody else. Something like that hadn't been done on that level at that point in time. And, you know, I think it still holds up. It doesn't look as bad as you would expect it to. It, it could have been a horrifying, uncanny valley, a la X-Men, smooth Patrick Stewart. Of the two in Ian McKellen was worse. Uh, <laughs> the Magneto one was way worse. Like, sure, they smoothed out a little too much for young Xavier, uh, but straight up, his face wasn't attached to his body in some scenes in X3. No. Like, they're just... It was bad. <laughs> yeah. But here, we are, we're several years removed from that point, and the, it's much more seamlessly integrated. Kudos to the effects department, both digital and practical, to get that to happen in a way that still ages very well over 10 years later. Good job, guys. Yeah. Uh, we also really need to talk about that barefoot running scene, because I know I mentioned it bothered me that he's, like, barefoot sprinting down the streets of New York. We gotta talk about how they shot that sequence, because, like, those feet. The effects department came up with these barefoot shoes. <laughs> so it's basically uh, almost a real-sized casting shoe of of Evan's foot. <laughs> And they turn it into a shoe for him, uh, all uh, something similar to the uh, run, you know, the climbing shoes that you see that you know have the individual With the toes. toes yeah. And, yeah, so it's something very similar to those, bulked up a bit so that they actively pro- protect his foot while he's running through these cobblestone streets, and that allows him to gracefully run on screen. I, I mean, they. They look comical in certain scenes because they just look a little too big for his body. But most of the scenes are done in action, so it's harder to determine that. But anytime he was standing still, it was like, Mmm, buddy, you got some uh, you got some big feet there. Well, you know what they say about big feet? <laughs> oh my god, this is a family show. <laughs> big hands, that's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, yeah, Uh, otherwise, the filming of it was, I mean, like any other, you know, chase scene. Well, honestly, this one was a little bit more realistic than anyone else who runs down a car on foot. Because, one, it's Captain America. And, two, like, let's face it, guys, it was 1940s. Cars are 30-something years old, maybe. They just don't get up and go quite like a car these days does. They are also like a half ton of metal on four wheels and an engine. I think the most unrealistic part of that whole sequence was when he jumped over the fence and he took off from like 20 feet in front of the fence. And then we get that awful shot like on top of the fence of him going over and you can just see the feet the whole time. And like, what are you doing with your legs, my guy? He's like, he's like just flailing in midair at, at Yikes! <laughs> it's like some sort of weird hurdle that he was he was trying. I I got the feeling they were going more for a he's not certain how to operate his new body, which they kind of covered when he took a wide turn and went through a bridal store. 
In his bare feet. Yeah. <laughs> Went through a window with his bare feet and then took off running after that. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, he's Captain America. Superhero science. I, come on. I We covered this. Vita rays. Like, like at least the, the Hulk had the decency to use something that we actually have. Gamma radiation is actually a thing. But, yeah, we make up rays all the time. Um, Iron Man, right? We have cobalt rays. What even is a cobalt? What? What? Yeah. So, love, love, love comic book science. They just throw things together and say, that'll work. Absolutely. Everything works. Comic book science. Yeah. Um, And then, I guess, the last bit was... um, the red skulls there yeah again as we said earlier for the scene the big reveal of him having the red skull weaving showed up to like set like eight hours earlier they sat him down they did the red skull makeup and then they also then set him up for fitting to make his face on top of the red skull makeup (laughs) so they could do all of that in one go guys i yeah, that that would have sucked. I don't know. I don't care who you are. Eight hours of makeup, or I, and I'm kind of pulling that number maybe a little bit out of my butt here. But it was a lot of hours in makeup to do one scene. That would turn off anybody to coming back to, uh, to a character. Yeah, I mean, especially someone like Hugo Weaving. He had no need. You know, he's done big blockbuster before. This was. Far from a breakout role for him. Right. Yeah, he, he, his name was used as a draw because at that point in time, we had had the three Matrix films, V for Vendetta, and I think even a Transformers movie at that point. And Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings, where he you know, owns that role of um, Elrond. Elrond? Elrond. Thank you. Yeah, he, didn't need, he did not need this role. The role needed him. Correct. I I can't, I cannot imagine anyone else bringing the charisma to it. I mean, I would like to have seen the casting choices setting up underneath Weaving's name to be, to be able to really determine, well, maybe so-and-so could have done the job, but I don't know who else was up for the role of the Red Skull at the time. No, because, and also I think it has a lot to do with just the physical aspect. He has the right face for it it lent yes. itself he has to very striking features looking as good as that skull face can look you know it, it he's already kind of severe so when you peel off his first layer of skin or you know several <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think he has the right face for it and then he's also one of the few actors i think and i agree with you that could have handled a role like that and subsequently because he did end up you know Way down the line. We're way past spoiler alerts at this point. He shows back up and you can tell that they just told him, hey, we really need, we're, you're going to be on screen for like five whole minutes. You got to do your best Hugo weaving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they, did, they didn't get weaving for the other uh, instances of the Red Skull. No, he was done. And yep. can't really say I blame him. But yeah, that, I think. That's it for my end of it. Um, you got any final thoughts there, Shenko? Well, I am very excited to talk about the Avengers. <laughs> uh, but about about Captain America, I mean, like I stated before, 
This movie was very much treated like filler, even though it had so much potential and such a great cast that it could have been so much more than what it was. And it didn't have a terribly long runtime either. No. Um, in fact, you could probably watch the whole movie in the record time that we've done here. Yeah. Like, th- this movie's not very long. It's just over 90 minutes. And, I mean, I think now, too, we're kind of spoiled in that zone where we get a movie that's two two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes, whatever. They, they could have thrown us ten more minutes of action sequences and then fleshed out a few of the interpersonal relationships without hurting my will to watch this movie. Because the pacing needed some help. You know, we get... Slow, 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 and then like a 10-minute chunk of action. And then we're basically at the end of the movie at that point. It suffered for a lack of scenes that had substance. Which really sucks. Because everyone with speaking roles in this movie, let's be real, very talented and very capable of more than this movie gave us. Uh, We get to see a lot of it down the line and i'm really happy that they got an outing but good lord they gave us like a whole two minutes with sam jackson and pissed off hugo weaving so bad that we don't ever get to see him again <laughs> well and then also yeah because because of the way they ended it it also just didn't feel like they were ever going to utilize him because we go immediately from here to the avengers which is set in 2012 um short of some other comic book science magic, how are we going to pull the Red Skull into being relevant for that? Eh, they could have. They could have easily swapped out Skull for... Uh, swapped out Loki for Skull or done something. And I mean, the Red Skull has a long history of, like, disappearing for long periods of time or getting zapped into the Cosmic Cube or yeah. body jacking people or cloning himself or, like... Uh, the comics have plenty of uh, source material to draw from in order to bring back the Red Skull. But I digress. We didn't get that. I don't know if they, you know, necessarily made me mad. But, you know, they just... It it wasn't as pleasant of an experience as I think he would have liked it to be. And so, yeah, he was just going to be like, I'm out, guys. Thanks for the paycheck. But Glad that Toby Jones ended on a pretty ambiguous note with his character so he gets to stick around and we'll see him again it did Mm -hmm. was a little disappointing to see him relegated to the like sidekick to the bad guy because i mean well i mean that's what zola was yeah so and he gains his importance we'll get to talk about that later indeed Uh, any anything else from you psych no i'm i'm done (laughs) all right Well, with that, we will see you next week. Later, everyone. Night. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. 
Genesis, and Vervada of the Two Girls, One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.